Hi, thanks for joining us at the dinner table. Before we begin, we would like to disclaim that these views do not reflect the state news and our opinions are subject to change at later date. Thank you for joining. Welcome back to the Dinner Table Podcast. This week, we're discussing normalizing culture. We'll discuss everything between mental health and box braids. This week, I'm sitting down with Case DeConing to discuss this topic. How are you doing, Case? I'm doing dandy. I'm doing fine. It's cool to be uh, more of a guest in a podcast than the person behind the scenes editing it. So that's really neat. Yeah. I mean, you're still going to edit it. Yeah, I'm, st- <laughs> I'm still going to be listening to it all over again, but yeah, it's cool. I've been listening to the podcast for a while now, not only because it's my job, but uh, I'm excited to be on. It's cool. It's one of my faves. Cool. Thank you. So what are some things, I guess, let's just get into it. What are some things that you notice are being normalized and how do you feel about that? Mm, the biggest thing, I think is mental health right now. Mental health, um, focusing on your mental health, uh, mental illness is becoming normalized. And while I'm definitely for normalizing mental health and making it aware, like more aware, like I, f- I still hear the argument of like, well, if you like keep talking about mental health all the time, people are bound to get depressed anyways. And it's like, yeah, sure. But I don't know. Now that every, I feel like if everybody knows that everyone else is kind of having very similar issues, and everyone else knows that stuff like social media and uh, societal expectations on young people is leading to mental illness, then I don't know. There's more. It, you feel less alone in it, and it kind of can stop it from getting real bad really quick. Yeah, true. I agree to some degree. Like, I think that argument that you brought up is plausible like i do think like i don't think depression anxiety are like contagious verbally where like if you voice it somebody else gets it but i do think like suicide talk and like the romanticization of that and like the obsession over like talking about that and normalizing that is definitely toxic yeah exactly i think that was the that was that was the particular instance I was looking at because I remember when um, TV shows like Thirteen Reasons Why came out, and people were like, "Well, mm-hmm. it's normalizing suicide in like a bad way. Like it's making suicide almost out to be like this romantic solution to your problems, but in reality, it's as far from a solution as you could possibly get." And so yeah, it's hard because some things definitely need to be normalized. Like we need to normalize anxiety and depression and show that the people that are afflicted by it aren't some sort of alien creature that's lost their humanity or whatever. But we also can't really normalize suicide because we tread into, like, romanticizing it. Yeah. And that's... I think that was a good point with with the 13 Reasons Why, because it was... It is, like, difficult to figure out where that line is, where it's, like, you're not alone in thinking these thoughts, but also these thoughts aren't natural and you shouldn't be thinking these thoughts, you know? Yeah. What do you think of uh, social media as a tool for normalization? Because I know like my high school 
we did a lot of work on like normalizing mental health and we had like mental health awareness week. So it was kind of like, Oh, like this community is all together. But now that communities can be so much larger and it can cross like cultural barriers, like how is normalizing affecting social media? Yeah. Um, I think it can also be, I see it as more toxic sometimes because you've got people that aren't professionals telling you things like, Okay, I have this really toxic behavior where I go on Reddit to read about my mental health issues, <laughs> <laughs> which is, like, it's freaking Reddit, but... <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, but, like, they normalize it on there, like, I'm on, like, a depression one, BPD one, PTSD, and, like, although it's, like, kind of like group therapy where people talk about it, sometimes there are ones that I, like, need to promise myself I won't read you know, because it'll, like, normalize, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense, because I feel like, I don't know, with different uh, social media platforms, I have, like, a different, like, character in my head whose voice is, like, reading all the posts to me, and I feel like, especially with Twitter, I always hear Twitter as being this, like, almost vindictive voice that also has a lot of authority to it, and so if I read something on Twitter and it's about like mental health or politics, I'm so quick to believe it. But if I were mm. to read that same thing on Facebook, I'd be like, oh, like my, my great aunt is on Facebook again, like spreading BS. But because of that, like, yeah, like I believe so much of what I read on Twitter. And then like a day later, I'm like, wait, that's like toxic as hell. Like I really shouldn't be thinking like that at all. But somebody on Twitter said it in a second. And now I bet tons of other people are thinking it's true too yeah that's so true i like i like that you brought that point up because twitter is more of like a factual social media versus like like you said facebook and i feel like tiktok is kind of the same where people are like if you format your video a certain way it's just like out there to be truth you know like where people are like um i guess this is I don't know if this is on part of the conversation, but like when people are like, oh, you do this and this and this, that means you're actually this on TikTok. And they do that all the time. And I feel like it is like just really toxic because, you know, it's like spreading false. It's like making you feel like it's true, but it's not true at all. Yeah, I see that a lot with um, with like ADD or ADHD where it'll be like a meme and it's like oh like 10 signs you have add and it's like no that's not signs you have add like i'm not gonna trust some 14 year old who made like something in photoshop and put it online that i don't trust her authority to say whether or not i have add i trust a professional's authority but there's so many people that are self-described add and i was even sort of self-described add for a while because of that and in reality it's not many people out there really have the authority to say anything about mental health. I mean, people can share <laughs> yeah. their own stories about, like, how they cope, and, like, that's cool, and that can be affirming. But to be, like, a definitive source on a topic that is still not really that well studied is just kind of, like, baffling. I don't know. Yeah, that's so true. That's, like, definitely a toxic area of normalization. Like, for sure. Um, what are some good areas of like normalization i guess Ooh, would you consider would you consider trigger warnings normalization oh 
Let me think about that one. Um, that is like such a good question. Um, because I was thinking about that going into this topic, because. I, you could kind of make an argument that it's both normalization and not normalization. Yeah, it's like normalizing. Yeah, I totally... Okay, yeah. I mean, it is kind of like normalizing. But also not, because I guess it's like when you read a trigger warning, what do you think? Like, do you actually contemplate reading the content or do you just read it be- more like do you want to read it more because it has a trigger warning oh yeah because my first take on trigger warnings were like oh i think that they're just going to sugarcoat problems and we shouldn't sugarcoat problems we should just address them head on and if we sugarcoat them then we're removing all of the harm that they actually have caused on real life people like um like i do a lot of stuff with the theater department here and there's a show there was like a lynch mob in this um, play that they were doing and they did a um, trigger warning ahead of time. And a part of me was like, it was it's like a big climactic scene in the play. And I was like, oh, maybe they shouldn't have put necessarily put a trigger warning because it kind of ruins like the mystery of it because it is sort of a mystery suspenseful play. And then I went to go watch the production and it was like, oh, the reason they say that isn't like, to tell people whether or not they should watch the play, it's more like, hey, something is going to happen. Brace yourself for it. And like now that I know that, I feel like I'm definitely really pro-trigger warnings as a form of normalization. Because for some people, the, the stuff that, traumatic stuff like that, they want it to be normalized, and they want the world to be normal with it so that they can go talk about it and see it. But if it's out of nowhere, it can be scary, and it can make really bad memories pop up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think definitely it's a good form of normalization where it's normalizing being aware of the bad things. Yeah, I think it, I see what you're saying. Like, I totally agree. Yeah, like the alternative is just sort of cutting it out completely. And that's like the opposite of normalizing culture. That's saying like, oh, that stuff never happens. And so normalizing kind of lets you make an environment where you can show things authentically without seriously stepping on people's toes. How do you feel about people normalizing taboo things? Like, okay, I just recently, I don't know if anyone else has heard about this, but I forgot what they're called specifically, but um, so some people are trying to normalize being interested in minors and they're like, re. I think they're like, like rebranding themselves as maps minors attracted person or something like that and they're trying to normalize that how do you feel about like (laughs) that i mean obviously i know the answer but yeah i actually like just watched i think it was like a vice like mini documentary on youtube about this because there's like this like um I don't know what you would call it, some sort of uh, psychological institution in Germany where they send people on their own volition. Like if somebody has pedophilic tendencies, they'll like volunteer to go to this facility where they're supposed to like fix them. And it was just kind of sketchy because they got accused of like fudging the data, I think, about like how many people actually were successful leaving the program. It's hard because... 
I don't want to normalize it because it's not a normal thing. Yeah, I mean, any type of uh, sexual or romantic encounter with a minor is beyond legal rape, also just like morally unsound and not a cool thing that we should allow in our society. I mean, like, duh. But I also feel like we need to normalize people who haven't acted upon that feeling free to come forward and find help because maybe the reason why they're having these tendencies is because of some other um, psychological trauma that hasn't been unearthed like I know a lot of people that end up being like child molesters were molested as children so maybe if we normalized being able to come forward about it then we're actually solving the problem but at the same time i don't want it to be like oh gary is like a pedophile and now feels bad about it and, and wants to normalize like no that's not that's not cool at all yeah so true i think i think yeah like what you're saying is such a good solution where we should be gentle about people that come out about it and like help them get help but not normalize it in a way where they feel like doing it is fine so yeah i totally agree yeah are there some things that you think are being normalized that shouldn't be normalized i think cancel culture is normalizing i know cancel culture is still a hot button topic sort of but it's very normal to just totally like or honestly polarized thinking is so normalized these days and we need to stop doing that (laughs) because it's really impacting like everything like you're seeing it in cancel culture you're seeing it in our politics you're seeing it in like just how we interact with people where it's like oh my gosh he did one bad thing cut him out break up with him do this yeah and like dehumanize them too yeah completely and it's like so normal to do that and that's just like the world is way more like has way more ambiguity than black and white yeah and also with cancel culture if it was really effective we wouldn't need a legal system you know what i mean yeah like if the masses and like the mob could really decide accurately like whether or not somebody was good or bad we wouldn't need like a court system and like jurors and a judge to decide who's guilty and not guilty you know what i mean yeah i think we need to like normalize more often accepting people for who they are like i guess like calling them out but then letting them change and accepting them once they change yeah giving people the room to like grow yeah Mm -hmm. what else is being normalized um i know a lot of people i guess older people in general are complaining about how much um sex is being normalized in media and in advertising like more and more I guess skin is being shown in like advertising and on television. What do you think of that? Normalizing sex like that. I am pro normalizing sex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think sex is something that people are so taboo about and it's does more harm than good. So. Yeah. Well, also it's just like, it's a biological function. So while I don't think that it should be, like, legal just to, like, show a sex scene on, like, TV or something, we, like, show people eating on TV and, like, sleeping on TV or, like, working out on TV, and those are all more than okay, they're normal, but for some reason, 
sex, which like, yeah, is meant to be intimate, I guess, I guess that's still for, for interpretation too, but it's, it's not, it's, it's not like it's some oddball thing that only a couple of handful of people do. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'd say the like over 99% of people made it through life having sex at some point. So yeah, no, I think definitely it should be more normalized and talking about like the difficult things about it. You know, like on this podcast we talked about well, not us, but we talked about masturbation, which is super taboo, but it's like it needs to be talked about we like everybody does it so it's like i think being quiet about that is just stupid that's so funny because i was looking at our uh our algorithm before i got uh hired here and saw all the foot traffic on that episode and i think one other episode about like circumcision or something that happened right before and i was like oh damn our, our listens jumped up for those two yeah people love those ones (laughs) we had like hate mail almost in the comments no i yeah i received a lot of hate mail for the circumcision one what are some things that you i i don't know if i already asked you this but you like that are normalized or like maybe something in your day-to-day that you that you can like enjoy now that's been normalized hmm you know what, actually, um, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, is um, masculine culture and, like, different forms of masculinity. Oh! That's something I'm really, really into normalizing. I love that. Yeah, because, well, okay, like, growing up, I was a pretty effeminate child. Like, I, I'd never played sports, and I'm not necessarily, like, a tough guy. Like, I'm just, like like a little skinny dude that reads <laughs> and um <laughs> because of that i always kind of put in this column of like oh well like he's effeminate like he has like feminine qualities and it's sort of like yeah i do and i'm not afraid to own up to them but some of my qualities that are deep part of my identity are, don't have to be they're still masculine in my opinion i don't know why we have it like anything that's sort of outside the box of like what is supposed to be manly is is automatically effeminate you know what I mean? Yeah. Totally. Like, playing a sport is masculine, but, like, I don't know, I like to write. So when I write, that's somehow feminine, but, like, most writers are men, so how is it feminine? You know what I mean? Yeah. How is, honestly, how is anything feminine in this world when everything's dominated by men? <laughs> exactly. Or, like, I absolutely love to cook, and it's like, oh, well, that's, like, such a feminine thing. And it's like... We have huge gender disparity in the culinary industry <laughs> yeah. and like huge issues with like women feeling exploited in the kitchen when like working. So it's like, how, how could you even call that like an effeminate thing when women can't even have ownership over it in the industry? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think doing that and normalizing mas- like ambiguity in masculine culture is super important. And I'm glad you're doing that. Yeah, it's, I don't know, once, once you get past elementary school, it's pretty easy. But I can imagine that, like, I don't know, like, a kid of my archetype or whatever, growing up in, like, the 50s probably would not have had as good of a time. But, like, I was never really, like, bullied for not being, like, a manly man or whatever. But I bet I probably would have been if I grew up, like, a couple decades earlier. 
True. I mean, I guess the only thing you have to worry about now is with the normalization of, honestly, almost so far that every that people have to come out as straight now <laughs> of the LGBTQ community, which I'm a part of. But I know, and I, you know, I guiltily will also accuse people of being gay for, for like basic stereotypes just because I want them to be and I get excited that they might be. But I feel like yeah, I feel like that's, like, hard on you, you know? Yeah, and I mean, I guess I can speak a little bit to that. Um, I actually, I read a quote about it, actually, I think, like, an hour ago. I was just reading a book before we started this, where it was, like, um, not every soft guy is gay. Some people are just still mama's boys. <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was so funny, because it's, like, I got i'm mistaken for gay like pretty frequently i would say i mean just like initial reaction like i don't really give off like any necessarily straight vibes but like i am and i was never really upset by it because the majority of my friends are in the lgbtq community and i have like a deep respect for it people that are in it and just its movements and i want to be an advocate for the community but it does get frustrating at times it's like i can like be me and be straight but people on both sides sort of seem like it shouldn't match. It's like that John Mulaney joke when he was like, mm -hmm. I felt like God made everything that a gay man was supposed to be and then like didn't make him gay at the end. Yeah. Like he said that and I was like, okay, yeah, I totally understand that. But then it's like, I feel like on the other side, it's like you can be completely like straight passing, but then be queer and like people accept you, like the queer, the LGBTQ accepts you. You know, for being like for being different in that way, but then I feel like nobody accepts like a straight person that's like not typically a traditional straight person, quote unquote. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, I totally understand that. Yeah, yeah, like when you and like I don't want to like I, here's the problem that I'm treading into is like I don't want to seem feel like I'm like a or make it seem like I'm like a victim in the situation because <laughs> I am in no way a victim <laughs> yeah. of people thinking that I'm gay but um <laughs> if anything far less but um no it's it's so true though that like if somebody is appears straight and is actually queer and then if people find out they're queer it's like oh no way I didn't know that's so cool but like if you're especially in like like liberal groups which i'm a member of um it's like when they find out that you're straight it's like oh bummer and it's like i'm still i'm still the same person you know i'm just you know like and, and also i kind of hate that like and this is definitely because of heteronormativity but we, we live in a world where there's such a distinction between uh, other parts of your identity and what your sexuality is when in reality people's sexuality is a very small aspect of their identity but because one sexuality is dominating over another sexuality everybody has to kind of cling to what other identities they have to prove to one another who they are yeah i think that we definitely need to normalize you know people being who they are and that's part of like i think a struggle with some people in the lgbtq community like accepting straight people for being straight and like like especially like when straight people enjoy parts of gay culture and they like take from it okay see that's like okay what about this one's actually a really hard one but this one might get me completely <laughs> canceled 
<laughs> How do you feel about normalizing people taking, like, not taking, but like doing things that other cultures are traditionally like known for? Oh, like cultural appropriation. <laughs> You're like, oh, like the big, the big C A word. Um, Yeah, the big Kahuna. That one's so hard. That one's so hard because, because I'm like, okay, here's my opinion. This is why I might get canceled, but I think, to some degree, at some point, we need to like be a world where we can share things and things aren't just for certain races. And like, I get. I get that there's a difference and there's like a fine line between appropriation where people where it's like you're being treated differently because of your race and doing that like the Kardashians doing box quote unquote box braids and then like a, like actual black person doing um, cornrows and like how they're treated differently but like I do think the more if we can figure out a way to normalize that where it's not appropriation and like we treat them the same i guess we'd have to treat them the same first but then you can you know then it's like oh we're a happy community and we share cultures because we really appreciate these this culture and like sometimes i feel like the kardashians really genuinely just appreciate black culture but that might be another topic for another day (laughs) another topic yeah, um, in my own life, my biggest struggle with um, the line between cultural appreciation and cultural appropriation is um, an English education major. So I spend a lot of time l- learning about how to conduct a classroom effectively where like we can create an environment where like all students of different races and ethnic backgrounds and genders and whether or not they're on the LGBTQ spectrum and like making an environment where they feel like they can learn. And because of that, and MSU is so cool for doing this, we get exposed to a lot of diverse perspectives and topics. And I have to read a lot of um, books that you really wouldn't read in a typical English class because they're trying to diversify the, what we call like the canon or what we call like the books are considered classic and worth teaching. And because of that, I spent a lot of time in class studying black culture specifically because, of course, like there's a huge black community in this country that needs to be taught English, right? And I'm in a class right now where we are learning about um, African-American vernacular English, which is just like English phrases and grammar structures that are unique to the black community in America. And for one of my... Uh, lectures we had to translate black phrases into what they called white phrases yeah that seems really unethical and i felt super uncomfortable doing that like yeah but it was but i mean it was administered by like a professor of color and there was tons of articles and reading to support it like we were literally given like a dictionary that had like black phrases in it and they pretty much just wanted us to be like aware of black language and black culture and it's like okay is this the line because i don't want to be hurting anyone's feelings or making people feel like i'm making fun of their culture and their language by using black phrases that i wasn't raised in and that i honestly don't have a huge cultural connection with and so it's like 
am I appropriating their culture by incorporating that? And also as a teacher, like, I don't think it's ethical to go up in front of a class of black kids and start speaking like them because it'd be unnatural and they could, they could smell that as BS from a mile away. Yeah, hundred percent. I think, I think that is the line. Like, I think just randomly speaking a different dialect because you enjoy it is the line. Like if I was just random, like if I really liked an Indian accent and I just decided to adapt to that, like that would be wrong. But it's weird because if you do it with an English accent, it's not wrong. But that's because English accents are likable. I mean, like, you know, like traditionally likable. True. And you're the big thing that we talk about in my class is like, you're not going to perform poorly at an interview because you're speaking in a British accent. And maybe if it's a really bad British accent, but, um, but you might do poorly in an interview if you're speak, if you're speaking in African-American vernacular English. And that's the difference between um, using someone's language as a form of perpetuating oppression and using someone's language because it's goofy and fun to speak differently than yourself. And I, I do want to stress that in the class, we weren't necessarily told that we like had to speak in African-American vernacular English if in front of a class of black kids. It was more like, if you guys are going to be teaching black students, it's important that you understand them effectively, because if you can't, then you can't teach them. But yeah, it was real weird uh, having to speak in black English for a day. Yeah, that is very interesting. I think, do you think there's like a time where cultural appropriation or cultural appreciation will be normalized? I think it'll be normalized and free to move between cultures as soon as people of color have agency over those aspects of their culture. Because I think the big issue with like the cornrows, for instance, is that like black people aren't necessarily really profiting off of their culture being used like that because it's i mean even though like it is just for an instagram post like that's how they make their money the kardashians so like by putting that picture of them with cornrows or whatever they're called box something box braids yeah with, like box braids box on ones. they're getting clout and they're getting money because of it but the purse but the black people that invented that hairstyle to fit their hair texture aren't receiving anything from that and they are afraid of losing their ownership over it so the minute that like Mm -hmm. every culture feels like they own their culture and that they can sell their culture without it feeling exploited then that's when we can freely and effectively indulge ourselves in other people's culture yeah i totally agree that's good um i think that's where we can end it today yeah what a broad topic I love it. I know. That was really really good. Some cool stuff. Yeah. I'm happy to be on. It's a fun pod. Yeah. Thank you for sitting down with us this week with us, with me. (laughs) I don't know why I'm two people all the time. Um, Yeah. Check us out next week. Case is going to be on again. Mm -hmm. So listen up for that. And yeah. Have a good day. Bye. Bye.